Nation Reaching Nations is focused on highlighting innovative stories from cross-cultural, local, and global missions, missions from the majority world, and culturally contextual teaching. The missionaries' stories and idea of this podcast are based on connecting through Houston and serve as an example of how the gospel is spreading from everywhere to everywhere. Our hope is that the stories that you hear on this podcast will help equip you to reach those around you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm glad you're joining us again. Uh, One of the former pastors of our church, who is also the pastor who led us through the process of uh, shifting from a mono-ethnic church to a multi-ethnic church, uh, has talked a lot, and our current pastor has talked a lot about, you know, when when people uh, choose to join a multi-ethnic church, or as a church is making that transition, uh, how a lot of times it's the people who are non-majority culture who really have the most to, to give up. And that transitions over time so that at a certain point there, there reaches a critical mass of diversity uh, where you might not have a one single majority. And so during the time from when this church made that shift until now, our, our outside community, our city community, has gone through that exact uh, demographic change uh, as a city, as a, as a metroplex. So no one ethnic group has a majority in the Houston area. Uh, which is uh, pretty cool and makes for some interesting dynamics here and there. Um, but I think at a church level, you know, the I don't know exactly how closely we reflect that, but I think people have a sense of loss when they're when they're at a church that doesn't have, uh, you know, their music, their preaching style, their their Bible version, their their holidays that they celebrate. These are different for everyone. So one holiday that we've we've been celebrating recently as a as a church as a spiritual holiday is New Year's. This was new to me. Uh, but some of our, uh, many of our international folks from different continents said that this is a very important church service. Well, I, you know, where I grew up, uh, Christmas Eve was the important church service. And then uh, New Year's Eve, that was just, you know, you go blow up fireworks and hang out with your family. You don't do anything at the church for that. Um, but this is a very globally accepted, in in the global church, this is a very accepted holiday and expected holiday. And so, uh, you know, we, we learn to stretch and grow and, and do those kinds of of things. Um, but I think probably if you asked a hundred people here at this church, you know, are, are you comfortable here? Are you, you know, is this the music you would play? Is this your favorite stuff? I think probably a lot of people at some point feel a sense of discomfort with whatever is happening. And, and part of that's because we are a church of 50 nations. And so, um, you know, there's, there's no one group I think that really would say, yeah, 100% of this really makes sense to me. Um, and so that's an interesting dynamic to go through. Essentially, uh, if you come to our church, you know, something will be for you, but not everything will be for you. And so it makes uh, certainly makes for an interesting dynamic. At the same time, if you're like me and you enjoy uh, learning from other Christians and experiencing things from their lives and their background, it's a really great place to uh, to come and do that. So uh, on that note, I I have with me today in the studio, I have Clayton Anderson. He's a school teacher here in the Houston area. He serves on our mission committee. He actually went on a mission trip with me uh, a couple years back to the Amazon jungle, uh, and he ate some new foods for the first time down there, though we're still in a little bit of debate on on what exactly he ate. 
Uh, maybe we'll bring that up in, in conversation. I'll let him let him share his side of the story. Uh, but he's married and he has uh, uh, two kids. Uh, and he serves on our uh, mission committee as well. And so he wants to talk some about his own uh, church transition that he's gone through over the years. Uh, Clayton, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, sir. And it's no debate. I, I did eat foods. It's no debate. <laughs> but we can move on. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's let's just start. Let's start with that. So you came to the jungle with us. Mm-hmm. I think you were actually the first African-American that has gone on one of these trips from our church or from any of the churches that was going. Um, so you were you were a bit of a pioneer in that regard. I don't know if you were aware of that at the time. Uh, I think that might have been the conversation. It hadn't sunk in, but uh, now that you say that again, I think that's what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think for a lot of people from our church who go on this trip might wind up being the first of whatever. This last trip we brought uh, the first uh, interracially married couple Mm. that they had seen, and that brought a lot of really fun uh, Mm. discussions and surprises and and whatnot. Yeah. So what was the craziest thing you ate in Peru? Uh, the craziest thing I actually ate uh, was skinny pig, and you know this is cooey. I didn't eat much of it. I will concede I did not eat much of it, um, but I did eat guinea pig. Um, yeah. So the min- the minority report on this story is that he looked at it, he opened his mouth, and he touched his tongue to it, and then oh set it back gosh. down. Oh my goodness, the disrespect! <laughs> no, I watched. Okay, you <laughs> hounded me. No, no, no. So the majority of the trip, if not all the trip, you were encouraging me strongly. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat yeah. it. And I said, you know what? I B- by encouraging, he's being very nice. Uh, right. I think <laughs> sh- shame, peer oh, yeah, pressure, definitely. manipulation. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I eventually crumbled. I said, you know what? Yeah, I'll try it. So then watched it come out. I'm just grossed out already. But I said, you know what? I got this. I can do it. And I couldn't do it. I ate a bit of it, and I left it alone. But s- to this day, I do not get my credit. I <laughs> ate the cooey. What else do you want? I ate alligator. I watched you eat grub. I respect You watched me eat grub. Yes, you exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, hey, I have you. I, I questioned whether or not I wanted to move forward as a meat eater. That's that was my moment. Uh, thankfully, it had a positive history of meat consumption prior to that point. So I was good. Uh, if I hadn't had that and who knows where I'd be right now. But it was eaten. So. So while we're on the topic of the trip, I mean, sure. you went down. Uh, I know you had taken at least one other trip before, but this yes. is relatively early in your mission trip taking experience as a Christian. Mm. What do you feel like God did through you or showed you during that time? Uh, in the first trip or the second trip? Uh, the one I took you on. Uh, <laughs> honestly, no. Um, I felt like I got more of a glimpse at what actual you know ministry and discipleship and mission work looked like. Because uh, we weren't, you know, in some cushy living arrangements, you know, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, we were very much amongst the people, uh, meeting all these different, unconnect, you know, unreached uh, people groups. And, um, yeah, this Lord just showed me just the the um, the ability to worship him is not dependent on your circumstances. I mean, you were there, you know, we saw dirt roads and no doors. and But you saw just this love and sincerity and community. And we went to that house church with uh, Pastor Jonathan when he preached in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah, this Lord just showing like you can be sincerely in love with Him and not have everything go your way conditionally. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the heart of the jungle. So that's right. So you yourself have gone through your own kind of church transformation, and I think probably your story is similar to many people's here. Where sure. uh, I mean, I grew up going to a predominantly white church, and here I am at a multi-ethnic church, but. 
I think, would you tell us a little bit about what, what, would it, what exactly that transition was for you? Mm, so at one point, uh, when I had first come to the faith, uh, I attended a predominantly African-American church on the southwest side of Houston. Um, yeah, I mean, I was one of the younger ones, obviously. Um, uh, at the time, you know, it was great, and everyone looked like me, sounded like me, and uh, felt spiritually fed at the time. Um, but then one thing led to another, and eventually I just started having a longing or a desire, I guess, to to depart from that environment, and then came Will Chris, uh, which was completely opposite of what... Yeah, so what... What what do you feel like spiritually speaking? What was prompting that that change for you? Sure. Um, well, honestly, I think oh, to be all the way transparent, I think I just started having more questions about where I was than I had answers. It wasn't a question about do I believe in God or believe in Christ, but it was about you know some of the practices I saw, uh, some of the ideologies. Was it truly you know doctrinal or how much was it opinion based and even leadership structure? Was there accountability? So all the being said, I mean that's kind of what led to me departing, you know, like not not to kick dirt on anyone's name or not to kick dirt on the church, but I just think that there came a point where I just sought more spiritually, and that's where Wilcrest came into into play for me. So imagine for a moment, uh, you know, you're you know, if you're listening to this, imagine that that you're growing up in your home church. You know, I'm I'm picturing like the smell of that building that we would walk in, the creak of the door, the way the piano was out of tune, mm-hmm. uh, the hymns that we would sing, sure. the, you know, we had this very, for a while, this very exuberant uh, song leader uh, who would just rocket his hand out, up and out as he would, you know, with the, like the old classic hymn style, you know, the, the mm-hmm. music leader waves his hand. They don't do that anymore in, in modern worship, but yeah. the uh, kids, uh, song leaders used to wave their arms to keep everybody on beat. Um, oh, right, but, but his right. was more like like flailing. It looked like he was trying to take off or something. <laughs> right. um, but honestly, I, I had my own issues with that church. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I had a pretty dramatic uh, falling out with them and exodus from that. And uh, it was for the it was for good reasons. Sure. But um, still, a, a very formative time in my life and a lot of a lot of sense of betrayal and all, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Uh, but honestly, when when I when I hear particular hymns. Uh, when I see particular things, I have this sense of nostalgia right. for that. And and honestly, like having since left that church, I've never really felt at home at home. And mm-hmm. I, I've embraced this, right? I, I've, I've lived right. around the world. And so it's common for me now to look for the different rather than for right. what do I feel comfortable with. <clears throat> but um, there's there's still that. It, it's it's part of my upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is wiring, you know. And to this day, I still love the hymns. I I, I love singing hymns. I play them on the guitar. Right. Um, I love the theology. I love the song structure. Um, but there's also this sense of like nothing feels like home since I left that. And sure. so, what do you you know? For those who haven't experienced your your church experience, like what what did that look like? What did it look like to go from monoethnic to uh, multi-ethnic, yeah, correct. Honestly, um, it was it's kind of twofold because it was not only just my journey, but also getting married at the same time. Okay, we both had to kind of adjust to my wife being Brittany. Uh, we both had to adjust to that change, and like you, you hit it right on the head. It went from you know songs, for example, up tempo, you know, boom, 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 clapping and stuff like that, dancing and super loud instruments, and okay, to very 
very not as much that um, to go from everyone looks like you to not a lot of people look like you, you know, to language being common to now different languages. Uh, it definitely has been a culture shock in a good way. Um, and I, I agree with what you said. I never worded it that way, but that kind of like that home feeling like you feel home because, you know, this is where the Lord has you and you're with the church. But just what you've come to know prior, you know, or early on in your faith or what you just grew up doing, you don't have that anymore. So there's that constant adjustment to what your new reality is, you know, and I might, you know, I'll still I still enjoy those things, you know, like if I hear an upbeat worship song, great. Uh, but it's me having to be challenged to understand that it's about the glory of the Lord that we do these things. And it's not me trying to overly see myself in everything, you know, and that being the basis for my comfort. And the same thing for my wife as well. So, Yeah, I think probably everybody at Wilcrest would say that they've experienced some kind of culture shock in coming here. Because, right. uh, you know, when you're in any kind of church... Uh, it, there is a culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people kind of assume here in America that the, the white culture is the normative culture, and then there's all these other things. But really, there's no normative white culture. Right. Uh, churches in the South versus churches in the North, West Coast, East Coast, even amongst you know one group of people, mm-hmm. there's still significant differences. There's denominational differences. Right. You know, like Lutherans, Presbyterians, high church people sure. tend to be much more liturgical and logical mm-hmm. and Baptists, uh, Methodists, Presby- uh, Pentecostals tend to be a little bit more emotional and passionate. Mm-hmm. And um, So what do you feel like those points of culture shock or points of rub have, have been for you here? Honestly, I just think it's, it's, it's relating to those who I ha- I know that I have different upbringings from, you know, like, being immersed in it, you know, every day where you're seeing people constantly who are different and, you know, actually being willing to learn about them, you know, learning that some people like fishing, some people like going hunting, uh, some people they're from this walk of life or that walk of life. So I just think it's me trying to find a common ground with, you know, someone else who also proclaims the faith. That's one of the challenges for me where it's like I don't want my willingness to listen to you to be dependent on whether or not I think you're the same as me. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's one for me. Um What's been the craziest thing you've seen here? The craziest thing I've seen here? I would think you're pretty much involved in a lot of that. Um, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah, I could joke with it, but no. you. <laughs> if craziness was to be a person, I would say you pretty much could fit that. Um, but no, I just... Thank you, I, th- I think. No, it's in a good way. Um, I just think for me, craziest would just be where these things take you you know as a believer yes but just the relationships and to kind of go back to the mission trip like to do the things we've done to see the things we've seen i mean just it's just you know eating animals i never thought i'd eat or see uh, in that state um i mean we went to an animal you know we went to an animal sanctuary so to speak and i got to hold a sloth so i don't know if that fits the bill for craziest but it's like it's those kind of things that you wonder if i was closed off to being a part of something different Mm -hmm. would i have experienced this thing right here would i've held that sloth would i have ridden that motorcycle with lucho or you know would i (laughs) I forgot about the motorcycle exactly which was awesome but um would i have eaten that cooey you know with pastor brian those things don't happen unless you you know, are willing to be open to that. So I would say just it's a, a whole thing of craziness, I would say. That I've seen. You know, that's, that's interesting. With, with all these things, there's a comfort level with what we know. 
and a discomfort level with what we don't know, right? right. So I'm comfortable with the music I know and the, and the translation I know and the language I know and the food I know, but certain of these things speak such the core of our being like food. Yeah. Um, and I think it's easy to have a sense of, of loss, you know, which I'm defining as culture shock here, sure. right? So you, you come into a, a potluck at our church and there's this, I think some people have a sense of uh, maybe a little bit of fear, trepidation, wondering what am I going to eat? Oh, there's food, man. There are uh, people from all these other countries. And, and I, th- I think one thing a lot of Americans uh, or white Americans don't realize is that people feel the same way about our food that we feel about their food, right? Ask Ask any international person, what do you think about cold cereal? It's, oh, my it's, goodness. It's hilarious responses that you'll get. Oh, my gosh. Because uh, even the Brits don't really eat cold cereal like we do. Um, Wait, that's not a thing? It's that's, not, it, not outside That's not the a state. universal thing? That's not a universal thing. Wow. It, okay. It's actually, you know, when I, when I did the, used to do the food blogging stuff, people would ask me, what's the craziest thing you've eaten? And I'd say, well, globally and statistically, it's actually cereal. So, uh, so wait a minute. So we're the anomaly? Like, we eat... Yeah. What? Well, because we're not the majority. I mean, as Americans, we're not the majority. Oh, well, that's true. So if you think, well, there's a billion and a half Chinese people and almost the same number of Indians, what they eat is the most normal food statistically. So I think people feel this when they come into the the potluck of, oh, man, where's where's the food for me that 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 I feel comfortable with? That makes sense. But the flip side is there's also a sense of gain where – I I get to try your food. Yeah, you, you get learn. to try my food. You know, you get to see what that's like. Um, when we did Map Day, uh, I remember my kids participating in that and looking at their friends list. So my kids also go to international school. You right. teach at you know like very international school district. Right. Um, and I was looking at the list of countries that they had, and I thought, wow. Fifty years ago, somebody who had had this number of friends from different countries would right. have, we would have called them an ambassador mm. right <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> but for for kids growing up where our kids are growing up that's just that's the norm that's just norm and at our church yeah. like every sunday is is like that so yeah. so tell me about the school uh what are you teaching there everything uh, every <laughs> subject reading writing social studies math everything is being taught by me except health not this year okay what grade are you teaching first grade first grade okay that's why um mm. Yep. So how international is your class there? So um, you do, I mean, you have, well, so where I am is in a very, it is a Hispanic-oriented area. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of Hispanic students. You do have Caucasian. You have a nice mix of everybody, Asian, black. Um, you do also have I mean, some African. Like, you have a number of Pakistani. You have a number of different people there, which is really surprising. But, yeah, in my classroom, kind of reflects that mostly hispanic but uh uh hispanic caucasian i have maybe one black student no two ish um yeah that's mine i do have a little melting pot see i'm i'm enthusiastic about like trying to do things that reaches them you know so it's not just that they're in my classroom and you know, I want them to learn english or i want them to connect with me no i i want to learn the languages we we're actually encouraged to make the curriculum tailored to you know um, making those deeper connections to like their cultures you know so that they can better learn the content so yeah i know you didn't ask the question but that's just throwing it in there so there's a lot that's happening in our world right now um you're a teacher for first grade in the time of pandemic and so 
it's not like your students, you know, you're not in the high school where they have a, a well-established routine for study and sure. class time and all of that. So you're you're having to do that at the same time, uh, particularly in the neighborhood where we live in and where you're, where where you work in and uh, where we go to church. You know, race issues uh, impact us. I would say disproportionately mm-hmm. uh, because we get the same race issues everybody else does. Uh, but we're not insulated in any way, shape, or form. You know, mm-hmm. it's very real for us. Right. Um, you know, our people are hurting. And at the same time, we also get race issues from races that we're not naturally connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, during during COVID, one of our members shared during a prayer meeting about uh, what the French are doing. And mm-hmm. so as Americans, we don't really think about Europe very much. Um but she's talking about what the French are doing to her country, which is still, I guess, probably technically a colony of some kind mm. and still very much controlled and manipulated by. And so they were going to do COVID testing on mm. her country because it's an African country and they don't wow. see, you know, they were OK with it. Mm. Right. Um, so we get connected to things that I, I wouldn't wake up and normally be aware of that connection. Right. Uh, at the same time, we have our own race issues here in the States. You mm. know, we've had protests and counter-protests, riots, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Militias. Uh, militias, right? Um, right now as we speak, there's virtual anarchy right? Uh, where the police are not doing their job and the militias are making things worse. And <sighs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm boiling all of this up into a conversation here, but yeah. what, uh, you know, how do you see this? Is it an issue in the classroom? Is it an issue in the church, in your neighborhood? What does this look like from your perspective? Man, it just it just looks like a uh, gradual, uh, just a gradual, just um, breaking down of American society in a sense. Not to be hyperbolic about it, but it's it's bad out here. Simply put, um, divisions within divisions within divisions are occurring, to where subgroups are against each other, and more subgroups are forming. You know, day after day, uh, police officers look some kind of way, and um, you know individuals are, are categorized it's, it's just all over the place uh, no one's willing to listen everyone has an opinion uh, especially in this social media age and from my perspective being you know the father of two african-american children and teaching multi-ethnic classroom as a believer first and foremost it's me having to maintain a christian perspective which is all are made in the image of god all should receive justice no one should be regardless of your past or even your current lifestyle no one should be robbed of justice mm-hmm. um authority figures should be held accountable right all races have issues no race has just a worse life than the other i mean everyone has their own things to go through every life has value from god so it's it's teaching that is being firm in that understanding that you will catch a lot of flack from sides that just want you to pick a side. You know, they don't want you to sound too sympathetic towards the other because it sounds like you're one of them, quote mm-hmm. unquote. You're disloyal. You know? Right, exactly. And that's just not, for the Christian, that's just not how things are supposed to be. The kingdom is not about that. Christ is not about that. We don't draw divisive lines like that. The only type of allowed division is, you know, the world and Christians. That's really it. Outside of that, there should not be splintering factions within the church, you know. And for my children, uh, talking to my wife about it, that's going to be paramount in our home is like encouraging them to seek out and actively and proactively build relationships with those who are different from you. You know, mm-hmm. whether that be in, in just classmates, social groups, or even, you know, marriages, you know, like I'm not going to encourage them any which way to go. I'm just going to lay out for them the objective information 
for them to consider, and they will go on and take that and make it their own and pursue whatever they want to do. I just don't want to be the one to try to encourage them towards that, like we talked about, that anarchist, world-burning perspective where it's like it's you against everybody else. It's you against officer, you against this group or that group, um, which is what everyone seems to want to live by right now just to be relevant or to, to, to feel as though you know, they're the majority or have the most power or the most influence or the most mm-hmm. to say, you know. So I know I kind of sound all over the place, but that's just that's just what it is. It's it's so much going on. Yeah. And not enough people are actually offering beneficial alternatives. Everyone just wants yeah. to ride and react in their feelings. Yeah. I, I do feel like these last I, I mean, I think this kind of racism, uh, these kinds of uh, evil and, and tragic killings have been. Uh, different from ones in the past. And, and I don't think that they are, you know, I think if you're watching the news, it seems like they're happening more and more these right. days. And that's kind of the image of why are things getting out of hand now? I would imagine right. it's probably always been that way. And oh, it's sure. just, there are more smartphones in oh, the world yeah, and people with unlimited data plans. And so we're, we're just more aware of, <laughs> definitely. of what's happening. I think it's probably always been happening, but I think right. it's kind of reaching a critical mass socially. And, oh, yeah. you know, I love to analyze these things, but I, I don't really know exactly why that is the case. Mm. Um, but it does seem like like these last several have been very different, and there's mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of social traction, and people are having a lot of conversations, kind of like right. we're having about what what does this mean for everybody? You know, yeah. what does this look like ten years from now? What's you know? Right. Uh, so, where where do you think? the the church fits into this because i mean if, if we look at racism right there's there's a number of levels right? sure. so we could look at it uh socially we could look at it politically we could look at it legally mm-hmm. um, but the reality is the church can't speak into every single area sure um, and so where do you see the church fitting into uh this whole discussion because mm-hmm. I, I mean racism ultimately is a is a sin and it's sure. a matter of the heart and the only thing that transforms it is not law right right you know you and i were talking before the show about kind of the uh you know the the, the previous race riots a generation ago sure. how houston kind of stayed out of that mix not because of any heart transformation yeah. but it was this pragmatic uh consumerist mindset which we still have in houston mm-hmm. you know other cities are on fire right now and i know we have lots of people in our city that are hurting or angry or uh and our city's been relatively quiet Mm -hmm. and it's because if you live in houston you're basically here to to work i mean we don't have a whole lot else you know we don't have mountains we don't have cool weather (laughs) (laughs) we're we're hot flat and crowded you know that's that's hot flat and crowded that's funny (laughs) right so where does you know how does how does the church love itself well like how, how do we support our own members well and then mm-hmm. where does the church fit into the whole discussion on race sure well i think um to start with the church uh, which is where it should start um we have to get back to understanding like the book of acts i was seeing that today where um you know paul when he's visiting cornelius's house right the lord is showing him to not declare unclean what he has declared clean right in a sense him mm-hmm. saying that he's learned that regardless of the nation, whoever fears the Lord and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he's no one to try to determine who is not, right? So that starting point, I say that to say this, um, as a church, we have to understand that the Lord loves all. Uh, The Lord has given salvation for all through Christ. Uh, Christ has died to break down that dividing wall of hostility, the scriptures say. 
Uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, and mm-hmm. you can you know you can take from that black or white, you know, man or man or woman. Um, all are loved by Christ, made by God, and and you know none of us deserve salvation, you know, but God is right. allowed for all. So I think where we start at is understanding that God is for all of us, regardless of where you're from. You know, uh, no one's better than the other. No one should be treating each other like that. And if so, there should be repentance. There should be conversations, whether it's pastor or congregate. There should be conversations about that. Um, so that being said, to the next point, which is where do we fit as the church? Um, you know, if you if you say that, oh, we should pray, you have the crowds who will say, oh, well, you're just passive. You don't want to do anything. That's the church answer. No, we should we should pray. The scriptures say pray without ceasing. But I think we, we lose people when we leave it at just prayer. You know, when we, we make it seem as though, yeah, if we just pray and hope the best, it'll go away. Like, there needs to be action, right? There needs to be godly action, but there needs to be prayer, of course, because prayer is not this just arbitrary tool, right? Like, it's you communing with the Father, bringing before Him yourself mm-hmm. and your anxieties and just the state of the world and saying, Lord, you're the only one who can do something about this. I give this to you, you know? And if all had that same mindset, you know, that's the beautiful start. So then after that, our place in all this is, I don't think our, okay, for example, to go to Acts again, you remember when um, there was this ruckus over daily distribution, this is early in Acts, where, right. uh, you know, the Jews were talking about, oh, well, we're, our widows are getting neglected. And what did the apostles say? They said, we're not going to take away from sharing the gospel to wait tables. Right. So we're going to appoint a group of believers to handle this responsibility while we go forth and do do our thing. So this is not to equate racial tensions the same as waiting tables because that would be insensitive. Right. But what I'm saying is that the premise of my point is we have an ob- objective here, which is to be light for the gospel, uh, to glorify the Lord, to show the love of Christ to all people, regardless of who they are. That's the primary, right? And, of course, people still need to be saved, right? We don't just want to do that and not emphasize that, hey, souls are still on the line. The devil is still out here trying to wreak havoc and wreak havoc and, and spread deceit. People's souls need to be saved more so than anything. So that's the—we don't want to lose sight of that. But at the same time, though, as the apostles show, there is room to appoint people and to have emphasis on, well, this is still something that we want to tend to for the sake of biblical unity and to to tend to those needs of people who have those needs, who are going through these things. So what I'm saying is it's twofold. One, don't lose sight of the gospel as the church. Two, it's still tend to the needs of others because Christ and being here on earth, Mm -hmm. right, like he tended to people's needs, like whether it was sick, whether it was the blind, the lame, the crippled. um, He healed people along the way. Right. Because all that worked to share the love of God, all that worked to show people the miraculous power of God. So in the same way as the church now, our places go forth be be bearers of light, be sharers of the gospel. Right. But also utilize this as a time to serve in the name of Christ, to show people that, hey, the love of Christ is so different from the world that regardless of where you're from, I still love you. Even if you hate me because of my skin color. Hey, I forgive you and love you anyway. You know, and if I do desire for something to to change, we're going to go about it in a way that reflects Christ. And it doesn't have to be worldly. It doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be passive, you know, but it's done in a way that's active and points you towards something bigger than yourself, which is God. So, you know, in the in that passage you're quoting from Acts, um, the division was based on race. So, I mean, the the Jews in general at that time were, were fairly 
anti-Gentile right, in right. their perspective. And so this right. new thing was happening where Gentile believers were, were brought in. Sure. And it, and, and it was exposed around language. So it says the Greek-speaking widows, mm. right? So they're obviously Gentile, they're speaking Greek. Mm. But there's a language barrier there. And yeah, the, the apostles did have a very practical solution, which was the church still has to be the church. But we also can't ignore the fact right. that God has called us to take care of the widows. Exactly. So I, I think that's a really good point. You know, we, when, if you study reconciliation or peacemaking or conflict management, a lot of uh, the secular studies will have, you know, like a kind of a eight-point scale or something. Like, you know, you have to do this step and this step and this mm-hmm. step. And it's kind of sequential, sure. which I, I think there's much we can learn from secular studies. I'm not mm-hmm. at all opposed to that. Uh, but as a believer, you know, your, your response of prayer, I, I think that's a fantastic response. And people do put that down of, well, we're just talking. We're just praying. We have to do something. Well, praying is do so, doing right. something. And there's times where all we can do is pray. Right. Um, this is true in missions. It's true in reconciliation. I mean, when, I'm, when I have some fight with a brother or sister, I can't change their heart. Oh, exactly. I can go and talk. I can go apologize. I can go seek to understand. I, I mean, I can do my part. But I'm outside of them. I heard a really great quote one time, and, and it, was, it said, uh, you know, we come up with our plans and our, our processes for how things work. But mm-hmm. whenever the Holy Spirit enters the situation, the timeline changes. Mm-hmm. And so we think, well, reconciliation starts with uh, this thing or starts with that thing. Like, I'm not going to talk with you until you apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can't, you know, I can't forgive you till you see that you're wrong or... But the reality is the Holy Spirit can work in the heart of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit can work in the heart of the oppressed. Right. And so you're talking about, I mean, what you said a minute ago is, you know, I, I can forgive you even if you're doing something racist towards me. Yeah. Which is exactly this. And, and so I think for, you know, for our listeners, as we th- think through our own hurt, and this could be based around race, could we not be based around race? You know, everybody has some kind of trauma sure. in their life. Um. I, I, and I have my own uh, as well. And, and, you know, for a while it was, it was crippling. Um, and it was also a scenario where I could never get satisfaction, so to speak. Like I, I had no option for the people who had done me wrong mm. to talk to me mm. or for me to talk to them. And so it was really completely like a, a sit down where I can explain myself and you can understand and then you can see you're wrong and you can apologize and then I can say, I that's just not an option. Right. But this, this had changed me hmm. and that was on me. And I realized like I, even though I'm a believer, I'm saved, there's more that the gospel does in our life in hmm. the here and now. Hmm. And some of it is this transformation, changing my heart of right. anger, changing the brokenness and the pain in right. me to go, okay. I love these people again. Yeah. Okay, I'm forgiving these people. Okay, Christ has paid for, like in the same way that he paid for the sin that I've done to you, Mm. he's already paid and taken the punishment for the sin you've done to me. It's like us wanting to get even with each other. This is nonsense. I mean, especially as Christian brothers, right? This is nonsense because we're both dead in Christ and raised in Christ. Right. I think real quick, not to interrupt you, but you brought up a good point, you know, like, and I think it needs to be said, revenge is not the same as justice, you know? And people think they're the same. They're not. You know, like you forcibly trying to make your voice heard. What We talked about it earlier, right? Why would you give an enemy a weapon to use against you? Right. You know, like why would you supply 
the opposing forces with all the more justification for why they should look down upon you, mm-hmm. right? You can't control everything that people think about you, no matter how. That's the believer's situation, right? Like, no matter how much we strive to to display holiness inside of God and inside of man, there will always be a people group who are offended by something we do, mm-hmm. hate something we say, hate the way we look. There's nothing we can do. I'm not going to blame myself for it. So, but it just it just doesn't it doesn't help to play right into their hands and give them something to to look at and say ha 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 see look this is why mm-hmm. you know and uh one one more thing real quick I guess to contribute to my earlier you know uh, point when you asked me about what's our place I think also something important to ask ourselves is what do we expect you know like what 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 are we trying to actually accomplish here like I know people talk about oh racial reconciliation is that really as deep as it goes because you can ask the question of you know are people trying to in a sense um create a perfect paradise out of a fallen world you know like mm-hmm. i don't know if we ask that question enough you know the scripture is talking about this world is fading away it's passing away day after day it, it's dying right nothing from this world is going to go into the kingdom um and i'm not saying like people can't care about justice or care about you know the condition of the world in which they live sure but if your heart is to believe that this can be a perfect paradise if we just do this together, I think you're missing the totality of spiritually what's mm-hmm. going on in this world, if that makes sense. You know, like, yeah. is you can't, quote unquote, live your best life now anyway, because the best life, to, to think you can have a best life outside of Christ is just nonsensical. And to think that you can have anything that's the best apart from just being with God directly, that's also missing the point. But... I think when having these conversations and looking for answers, we have to have it with the backdrop of we should not try to kind of save this planet as though this is this is what's going to be a lot for all eternity. Right. You want to make this, you know, you want to have a godly impact. You want to be about change and justice, understanding that this life is temporary and that as long as sin is in the world, there's no such thing as a perfect world where everyone's going to get along and we'll never have this issue again. Mm -hmm. You know, because as long as sin is present, racism will always exist. Murder will always exist. Rape, the list goes on. You know, so I think people need to change their expectations on what they're trying to get out of this whole thing. You know, like you can you can have some kind of change now, but you will never be able to remove sin. That's just not it's not possible for the believer. And only God will do that when according to Revelation, he will make all things new. That will be the only time that all of this will truly be gone and evaporated until then. We just make the best of it. Right. Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Ultimately, all sin is a, sp- a spiritual problem. And ultimately, the answer is the gospel. At the same time, I do think. You know, when people commit any acts of atrocity, sure. there does need to be punishment. And, sure. then, and oh, yeah. actually, of Roman course. says that, like, God has given us government for this reason. Exactly. Um, of course. You know, and, and that's certainly a challenge to navigate that because the, the, the laws should be just. The application of the laws should be just. Right. At the same time, um, we can have just laws all day long and they're mm. still going to be racist. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there's yeah. still going to be racism. Definitely. Um, because men's hearts are evil. Mm. And even if you could eradicate racism, there would be some other basis by which I would hate you and you would hate me right. apart from exactly. Christ. And I think that's the challenge that we're forced to deal with is not that we don't strive to change the world, but even in in fighting for justice and fighting for reconciliation, there's, you know, we, we always have to go deeper than yeah. what what culture tells us, right? So culture telling, is telling us right now um, – 
you know, if you're a business, you do this by putting something Black Lives Matter out. Mm -hmm. um, if you're the government, we need to change the laws. Uh, but I think it doesn't go, you know, ch change the laws, hold the people accountable. Um, but I don't think they're, they have a mechanism for spiritual change, right. which yeah, the church don't. does. Right, exactly. And so we can have fair laws and I can still hate my neighbor mm -hmm. because fair laws don't <laughs> change my heart. Right, exactly. And, and I think, uh, you know, not that I would say uh, – you know, Christians shouldn't be a part of protest or Christians shouldn't be involved in government. I, you know, use your voice, use your ability yeah. to speak. But I do think if we don't use our ability to love. Yeah. Oh, we've missed everything. Our, our best weapon that God has given us is we're throwing yes, it away. Yeah. Not that those other things are unimportant, but sure. we bring in this added thing that those other uh, avenues don't have. Right. And, and the church has got to be involved in that. Yeah. First, that's First Corinthians 13. Paul gives a list of things you could do, and if you do it without love, it's worthless. Right. Give your body up to be burned. You can like to bring it in our terms now. You can serve in all the protests. You can be a minister for thirty years, but if love is not the very thing that knits all your actions together, it is worthless. Like God can still use you to bless others through you, but it's not about you, you know. But for you, what do you get out of it? Nothing, because you contributed nothing of value to it of yourself, because you never loved anybody in doing it, you know. Um, and like you said, I agree. Like. Love should be at the front of all that we do. And then the scriptures tell us in Romans 13 that love does no harm to a neighbor. You know, so it's like if you're doing things in love, it will alter the way in which you go about doing it. Mm -hmm. Whether it is having a racial conversation, whether it is even in your desire to protest, it'll change how you protest, um, where you do it, how you come about, you know, how you carry yourself in doing it. It just godly love is what should be the catalyst for all that we do. You know, and it's noticeable when that is not the case. Yeah. So I want to close with kind of a three-part question. Okay. It's the same question, but we're going to apply it to three different groups. And sure. so it, the, the question is this. If God would answer your prayer with a yes, what would you ask? And so the three categories oh, wow. are for your family, Whoa. for your church, and for your country. Oh, man. Okay. If God could answer a specific prayer and he said it's for a family— Church and country and country. If you if you just asked it and he would say done, what would you ask for? Save every soul in America. Honestly, At Christ to be accepted by all in America. Like um, what was it? Paul and um, was it? A, I don't know if it was Agrippa or who was it that was questioning him and Paul and um, uh, and he asked him, "Well, do you want me to be a Christian too, or something like that?" And he was like, "Yeah, well, I think yeah. you're even trying to persuade me." Right, exactly. And he was like, uh, no, I want everyone to be like me except for these chains, you know. So in the same way, for a country, my answer is simple, Christ. You know, I want everyone to accept Christ to find eternal life in him to be saved. That's it. Uh, for my household, um, at the big one thing, just a home that is devoted to Christ thoroughly. Uh, children who accept the gospel at an early age. Uh, my wife and I just being effective for the kingdom, you know, in our community and whatnot, starting with our own relationship, just growing in love for each other and love for Christ. Not in that order, but, um, yeah. And then you said for church. Uh, for me, I will say sanctification by way of the willingness to engage each other in tough conversations. People's humility growing the willingness to accept responsibility and accountability for the mm -hmm. things that they know that they've done in secret or publicly, but then also uh, the humility t for people to be willing to listen 
to the other, you know, like just for, you know, for example, the older to pour into the younger, the younger to be humble when receiving instruction from the older, um, you know, the African-Americans to be humble and be willing to listen and learn from different cultures and then the different cultures be willing to listen to, you know, African-Americans or predominantly Asian or whatever the case may be. Just maturity in the church and the removal of the leaven, which is hypocrisy and everything contrary to sound doctrine, so that we can, in this climate right now, can actually display that, that godly and strong unity, you know, that, that Christ wants us to in his word. So. Well, Clayton, those are good prayers. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, all right, that's that brings us to our conclusion. I hope you will stick with us in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be having uh, another one of our members come on the show. Her name is uh, Shelly Simon. She is an immigration lawyer. She might Ooh. have a technically different title. Um, so we are watching currently Immigration Nation on Netflix, and we're going to be discussing that together. Mm. And so I am writing a list of what I think are really great questions. We'll see if they turn out to be. Um, but I'm very excited to have her on the show and to get her perspective on kind of her job and what we see uh, maybe on a, on a different spectrum happening politically. Uh, but if you have questions for her, uh, you can email them to me. You can find me on the church website, wilcrestbaptistchurch.org. And uh, just find me, Brian A. Bear, and send me an email, and I will try to work those questions into her. So that will be happening in a couple of weeks. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for listening to Nations Reaching Nations. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Nation Reaching Nations.